This season of Keep Calm and Carry On is sponsored by Act London, the premium natural deodorant balm for all genders. Hello and welcome back to Keep Calm and Carry On. How are you guys doing out there? Have you had a lovely Easter? Well, the weather hasn't been great, has it? But, you know, it's been nice to have a little bit of a... A little bit of sunshine, a little bit of rain. I think we have all seasons <laughs> in the past few weeks. But I hope you guys have done, you know, something nice. I've eaten far too much chocolate. I've done a bit of exercising, but not enough. And I'm looking forward to the kids going back and getting back into that routine. A bit of exercise, a bit of, you know, outdoor living. And also we can meet up with some friends outside now. That's exciting. And the pubs have opened. Has anyone been yet? I haven't been. Also, a big thank you to my lovely sponsors, Act London. Those of you that don't know, we've teamed up with Act London. It's an amazing deodorant balm. Well, for me, I was a little bit sceptical, if I'm honest. I've been a, you know, a sure uh, spray girl my whole life, and I am now a convert. I really am. It's wonderful. It's a balm for all genders, and it smells divine. It was set up by two West End performers who tested it on West End performers, actually, who are under, you know, really hard uh, lighting and wearing the same costume. So it's important for us to have really good um, hygiene. And this balm is amazing. I'm on the grey one at the moment, which is like a eucalyptus and orange, and it smells divine. We've got a very special discount code um, later on in the programme, so listen out for that. And I promise you it's worth a try. I love it. And it's also plastic-free too, so I'm a massive supporter. So today we have an amazing guest. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I think it's quite fitting, really. We have a sir on the show. Some, I, I think all of you will know who he is. He's not an onstage performer, but he is incredibly important. A lyricist that wrote the lyrics to things like Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, my goodness. The Lion King. Ah! And, of course, Chess. Well, need I say more? You're in for a real treat. I am such a big fan of this man. It's Sir Tim Rice. Tim, it's so lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for coming on here and doing this for me. I know it's a bit chaotic at the moment and we're not in a usual time, but actually it's probably been good because I've been able to nab you because usually you're probably here there and everywhere and I probably wouldn't have been able to pin you down so thank you for joining me (laughs) well I I I do have a very um empty diary at the moment (laughs) so uh along with everybody else so that's it's great great opportunity so how how is lockdown for you I mean have you been doing anything um I've been doing a podcast I've doing episode 30 38 I think wow I've done it for 38 weeks running I was going to do it originally for about 10 weeks just during lockdown but of course Mm. Lockdown, which I'm now convinced, or restrictions, will probably go on for at least another year. In my view, <gasps> don't um, say that. <laughs> well, it will. I mean, once, once, once people get you in a sort of lockdown mode, they don't want to let go. And I think mm. you know, we'll be, we'll, we'll be told not to fly anywhere without being, you know, inoculated nine times or whatever. I mean, <laughs> it ain't going to get back to normal for a while. No, in my view. So maybe I'll keep going on um, my uh, podcast, but I'm. Not running out of things to say, but um, uh, I'm, I'm talking about all the old shows and um, playing demos and things that went wrong. And so it, it's a sort of behind the scenes look at um, the 50 plus years of my career. And what's what's it called? It's called Get Onto My Cloud. I love that. I love that. And, and is it just you talking? on? And yeah, about... I don't have guests because, well, hey, they're very hard to get hold of. <laughs> and it's only 25 minutes. Oh. So um, at, at at the top, I, I I usually get time to play two or three tracks, you know, usually fairly obscure ones. Um, I played recently Mike Tyson, <gasps> who covered One Night in Bangkok. Really? Truly. Um, I hope he's not watching because I think he's bigger than me, but um, uh, it was terrible. But it was, <laughs> but it was fascinating. Well, it's not kind of something you say, is it? It's not something you would say, you know, Mike Tyson singing. uh, Well, you just just, they just don't come in the same sentence, do they? Normally, he he sings about as well as I box. (laughs) And um, I I remember when we heard it it was in a film. I mean, the whole song is in a film called Hangover Two, one of the Hangover 
um, not the most subtle films in the world. Ah, uh, yes. And um, for some reason, I, I didn't really stick with the entire film, but towards the end of the film, where I was told he was on, he sings One Night in Bangkok all the way through at a wedding. <laughs> and the track is rather good, and he's okay when he raps, but he doesn't sing in tune on the chorus. And um, I rang up Benny Anderson, who wrote the music with Bjorn Alves, and I said, um, Mike Tyson has just recorded One Night in Bangkok, and I want you to tell him it's crap. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm not going. Well, I'll do it from a distance. Yeah. Oh dear. Uh, I, I hope he's not watching. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't think he's one of my regular listeners. I <laughs> but who knows? You never know. Um, I mean, other than I, I mean, your podcast—that's fantastic, and and I guess that's given you a bit of creativity and and yeah. something to do like work-wise, yes, well, if you like. Writing meant to be writing volume two of my memoirs, which the world is waiting for with bated breath. They are. <laughs> Um, and in a way, I'm writing bits of it now because I do do a draft out a kind of script for each one. And my last book only went up to the end of a Vita opening in London, or rather wow. the beginning of a Vita opening in London, I guess. And um, uh, so I've got quite a lot more I could write about. And, and I'm some of my podcasts are dealing with way, way back, many centuries ago. Hmm. Um, you know, Joseph <laughs> and Superstar and all that. And others are dealing with... Um, uh, things that aren't in my book because they hadn't been written yet, like chess and mm. Aida and Lion King and all of that. So I've, I've got quite a lot I could, I ought to get down to that. And I, I think this summer I will knock it off, as they say, because um, the, the, the podcasts are, are good, good practice. Well, I guess it's using this time as well, isn't it? Because we can't, we can't go out, we can't be creative together. So it's, it's utilising yeah. this time where we are. Well, well, I have written a couple of songs. I, I've written a couple of songs with Gary Barlow. Um, which have just, just um, for, funny enough, for a, a Taiwanese megastar called Jeff Chang. And wow. Rather good. And Jeff is, is, is a very nice guy. He's sung them in English and they may do very well out, out, out where he is. But I think um, at least one of the songs could, could, could well be something here. They're, they're really nice songs. Gary is, a, as you know, a great talent. And I've, I've written three songs with him in total now. And wow. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my hand in and, and we're... We're planning um, new productions of Aida, which has never yet come to London, mm. which, is, which has got some good songs in it. Elton wrote the music for that. And we're talking about Chess the movie. Um, so wow. not being totally idle, but I must admit, um, you know, most of the time I'm just sort of walking the dog or whatever. It I'm very lucky, I'm very fortunate. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm in the country. I'm not, you know, I, I, I've got, I'm not in a very confined space. So. Mm. So you I, have I space, yeah. So I, I'm very privileged. Are you a Zoom fan? I mean, are you getting on, are you socialising well, through Zoom with your family? Yes, I mean, <laughs> when, when the lockdown started, it was, you know, all the family would link up and we'd do quizzes, but we got fed mm. up with that. Really yeah. I mean, Zoom is, is obviously, right now we're using it, Zoom is actually great. And I wish I'd had shares in Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> and Amazon, Zoom and, and Amazon. Yes. <laughs> Well, Amazon was already massive before mm. lockdown. But Zoom, I'd never really heard of Zoom until lockdown. No. And um, it works. I mean, the, the, the good thing about Zoom is that you can look at yourself nonstop if you want to. And, <laughs> and, and, and people don't know what you're looking at. <laughs> it's so, very so true. That, that's about the only plus. It I mean, is very true. I mean, it's very useful, but, but it's not the same, really. It's not the same. It's very difficult for what we do, you know, when you, when it's all about being in a room and being creative yeah. with other people and bouncing off their energy and ideas. To, it doesn't seem to have the same energy off Zoom. You can't kind of throw that through a screen. No. It's difficult. It is difficult. It's quite good for, um, uh, I guess, for novelists and people who don't need mm. collaboration. I would have thought mm. that would have helped. Mm. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, listen, it's interesting thought if if we didn't have social media how would we cope with the pandemic but then if we didn't have social media and amazing communications a would we know about the pandemic and b would we have the pandemic <laughs> i mean, I mean it, it, it's weird we just don't know i mean it's hard not to feel that this crisis is not in part a result of communication between everybody in the world being so tight mm. and so instant which is great. We've all enjoyed it. We've all benefited from it. But maybe that's why we've got this. We're now having to say, hang on, we can't just do what we want, where we want all the time. Mm, absolutely. 
It's yeah, it's a like strange. everybody else. I haven't a clue. I think I think it depends on your situation, doesn't it? I mean, uh, we were just talking earlier about you know, there's people with that homeschooling and going through the stresses of yeah. <laughs> balancing life and trying to actually work from home, and then there are you know the other people that like my parents that are retired that can just wait it out, but it, it is affecting people in different ways, and it's not easy. But but talking on on something a bit brighter, I want to take you back to where it kind of where it started for you, like where your where your passion and your inspiration for, or your, I guess your passion for words came from. I mean, who inspired you to, how did that happen? Because I just don't well, know, I can't find well, it. Well, I think I was always interested in words. My my parents were both very good with words. My, my mother was a writer in her spare time. Mm. I mean, back in the 50s, uh, she didn't have a regular job because she was bringing up three kids without any uh, um, regular help. And, um, she, she basically used to write in her spare time. She wrote articles for a lot of magazines, short stories. Um, she wrote some stuff for The Times. She was even on the BBC once or twice. Wow. And she ended up, and she also kept a diary, which um, uh, got published just before she died and did very well. It was a wartime diary for when she was um, 19 at the beginning of the war and 24 or 25 at the end of it. And um, so I got my writing thing from her and my father. There were lots of books in the house. They were they enjoyed musicals and they had lots of, you know, Rogers and Hammerstein albums and mm. My Fair Lady and other things like that. But um, they were not particularly musical. Mm. And um, when rock and roll hit when I was about 12 or 13, they were, you know, thought, well, you're, I mean, I remember my dad saying to me when I was about 13, well, you'll grow out of this, you know, rock and roll stuff, this pop stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're about 17 and I thought oh god I've only got four years left so um Better enjoy I, it. I thought I would I thought you know nobody really thought rock and pop in that format in 1956 when it first appeared nobody really thought it would last I didn't mm. I thought well you know parents don't like kids music and vice versa mm. of course rock did become a culture in its own right I'm glad to say and people of my generation who are exactly the same age as the Beatles and the Stones we stuck with it mm. and we still like as everybody does we still like best what we grew up with Absolutely. and um but your original question where I, I mean I, I I just was exposed to a lot of words literature my father was a newspaper fiend and I became one and I remember reading the you know, the, the times when I was very young and enjoying statistics and I got into cricket and I loved the figures and all that. So it was anything um, that, 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 that facts and figures and all that I loved and, 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 and indeed books, but mainly, mainly non-fiction. But um, I never really thought much about musical theatre, although I loved the albums my parents had, but I, I probably listened to Elvis and Tommy Steele and Cliff Richard more. It was all pre-Beatles. I mean, you know, we yeah. never... Wow. So I, I so how 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 did you get into writing? You know, for musical. How well, did you meet Andrew? I guess it's probably. Yeah. Well, in nineteen, I left school in sixty two and became a law student, um, which I didn't really enjoy at all. I, I thought I've got to do something respectable. Never crossed my mind, idiot that I was. Even though I collected records and I knew I could name all the hits from you know the last ten years, um, <laughs> previous ten years. Um, never crossed my mind to think of getting a job in a record company, which would have been obvious. Mm. But I kind of I was programmed. Not deliberately, but I just kind of thought, well, I should go to university. I didn't want to go to university, strangely. Um, I think I was ahead of my time there. And um, <laughs> most of my friends went to Oxford or Cambridge, actually, quite a lot of them. My, both yeah. my brothers went to Cambridge. Um, wow. But I, I, I became a law student in London, and I enjoyed living in London enormously. But um, I didn't really get on at all at law. And I used to write songs. I had a pop group at school which did Cliff and the Shadows stuff mainly. And, um, and did I, you play? I, did you play an instrument then? Did you I, I, not really. I, I could play piano vaguely, but I, I was really a singer. I, I, I was Cliff. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Not amazing, no. <laughs> not amazing at all, how dare you? <laughs> no, we used to do Please Don't Tease and, um, you know, When the Girl in Your Arms is the Girl in Your Heart and the Young Ones and all those, all those great Cliff records from the 50s and 60s. And um, on the shadows, we had, we had one guy in the band called Pete Remine, who's still a good friend of mine. I'm in touch with all the band still, except the drummer, he disappeared. Um, but Pete 
was a really good guitar player. None of us had much ability, but Pete could play anything the Shadows did. And every time a new Shadows record came out, he'd learn it quickly. Wow. And we'd base ourselves around him. And um, it, was, it, was, it was great fun. Um, but I, I made, I can't remember how I, why I got around to doing it, but I was still mad keen on pop. And I, 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 I bought a guitar, um, cheap guitar from which I'd had at school. And I never really played it much in the band. But um, I began writing a few songs just for fun. And, and of course, by the, by the time after I left school, the, the 60s began to happen and the Beatles and everybody emerged and people like Bob Dylan I loved and, hmm. and Donovan. And I thought I could write songs like this. <laughs> and, and I wrote some three chord um, Donovan-ish type things, which hmm. weren't bad. And I, but I was really trying to sell my voice, not, not write songs, but I didn't want to sing songs that other people had done because I would be compared unfavorably to Tom yeah. Jones or Mick Jagger. So I wrote my own songs and nobody could say, well, so-and-so sang them better because nobody sang them before, <laughs> not me. And I sent the tape round to record companies and I was still a law student and nobody responded except about two months later, I got a call from a music publisher saying, uh, we, we, is this your tape? We've been sent this tape. Um, and, and I said, yes. And he said, well, we don't like the singer. And oh. I, and I said, but, 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 but we like one of the songs and we're going to record it with one of our groups. Oh. And I said, oh, I agree with you. The singer was crap. You know, we, 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 we just borrowed him. But I, I, I'm <laughs> a And so I suddenly thought, well, I must be doing something right. And one of the songs did get recorded by a group called The Night Shift who were very good. I think Jeff Beck was in the group at one wow. point. Wow. But it wasn't a hit. But I had a record. I, I had a 45 RPM record, um, which I lugged around the shop showing to people because my name was on very small print. And in those days, I mean, nowadays, anyone can make an album. It's not mm. different. Mm. You can do it. It might not be any good, but you can make an album. Of, you can do a CD. You can have yeah. one artwork. It sounds good. Those days, to get your name on a record, any record was... was quite an achievement yeah and I thought that might lead me to go somewhere it didn't immediately but I I I, I went to see thanks to my mother I also had an idea for a book about the history of the charts which I did do in the end with Gambaccini and my brother and Mick Reed I saw that the hit singles um, and I tried to sell this idea to a book publisher and I was way ahead of my time on that one because mm. he said no 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 people don't like books of lists and I said, you know, you know, I remember he said, I can't sell books of Mick Jagger's, what Mick Jagger had for breakfast. So how can I sell a, a book of a list of his records? And I said, well, that's what people want. I mean, in, in, I had sort of subconsciously realized that the rock thing was not going away. Whereas mm. older publishers thought nobody had any interest in rock music as a history was now. I mean, I've got 300 books on the history of rock. Yeah. And, Okay. Um, and I always say, well, people like lists. You can sell a list of anything, people will buy it. Anyway, he didn't like the idea, but he said, what else do you do? You, you know, you seem a bright lad. And I said, well, I write songs. And I played him my song. And he said, I don't like that either. Um, <laughs> I thought this is going really well. And uh, then he said, well, I know a young man who's trying to write songs for the theatre called Andrew Lloyd Webber. Would you like to meet him? Because he's looking for someone to write words. I think your wow. words are okay. I said, sure. And um, I thought that Andrew would have to change his name, Andrew Lloyd Webber, he'll never make it with that name. Anyway. <laughs> but, but I went round to see him. Um, I wrote him a letter. This is pre-mobile phones, pre-emails, everything. Um, and I wrote Andrew a letter. Um, and about four days later, I got a phone call in my lawyer's office. And he said, come round and, you know, I'd love to meet you. And I went round and he was um, living in South Kensington. I was in, where was I at the time? I wasn't that far away, actually. I think I was in... Anyway, somewhere in, in the middle of London. Mm -hmm. And um, he sat down at the piano and he said, oh, I write musicals and I love them. And he, and he played some tunes. I thought, this guy's going to go places. And he said, do you know anything about musical theatre? I said, of course. <laughs> I, I'd, only, I'd seen two shows ever at that time. I'd seen Salad Days when I was 10 and I'd seen My Fair Lady. But mm -hmm. I did know all the albums really well. The music. And, and um, because my parents had the LPs and I knew all the songs of Roger and Hammerstein and, and I always liked them a lot. Mm. And funnily enough, it never made me want to go and see the shows particularly. I just liked the records because I was a vinyl junkie. Yeah. Um, anyway, Andrew said, well, I've got this musical on Dr. Bernardo and the guy who's written the words doesn't want to go on with it because he's going to do something stupid like become a doctor. And he was <laughs> at school with me and, and Andrew just left school. 
And he said, um, so why don't you listen to the tunes and, the, and here's the storyline and have a go at a couple of lyrics. And I did, and Andrew said, these are great. And I therefore got the job. Um, wow. And uh, so we wrote this musical and for two years and the music publisher became our first agent. And he was a brilliant publisher, but he wasn't really a great theater agent. On the other hand, to be fair to him, the show wasn't great. Mm. But it had a lot of promise, but it was not very original. Um, but we became close friends and we obviously said we must write more stuff. Um, although we thought our Bernardo musical, Dr. Bernardo, did I say it was about Dr. Bernardo? Yes, yes, it is. We, we, we were told, oh, you know, Desmond Elliott, the publisher, said that we'll get this in the West End. And we <laughs> thought, wow. And so I, and, and I then got a job at EMI because I failed my exams. I saw that. I saw that. And I worked for EMI. So I was now in the record business. So we wrote some songs and we got one or two of them recorded, but we never had a hit. And um, and then we realized tragically, the likes of us is not gonna be a hit. And a friend of ours asked us to write something for his school. He said, because we'd made a demo of the likes of us, which showed that there was definite ability there. Mm. Hang on too long, am I? No, it's, this is great. This is great stuff. I don't, I don't need to ask you any questions. This is brilliant. I can, I'm just listening. This okay. is wonderful. Um, anyway, and then I met this girl. No. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, what happened? Yes, I, I um, EMI. Yeah, yeah. I, I joined EMI because my parents, who were great, they were very supportive of me. And my father, um, you know, used to drive me to, um, uh, you know, recording sessions and things mm -hmm. I was trying to do because I, I was still trying to um, sing in the old group here and there. But but they said, look, if you're not happy in law, for goodness sake, give it up. And I was 21 by then, and I thought, I'm over the hill. I, I you know, I'm doomed. <laughs> but. Um, he said, you should try and get a job in, a, in the music business, not mm. as a performer, but as a record, you know, and, and anyway, I did. I, I, I eventually got a job at EMI as a management trainee, a very junior, it was like an office boy, really. With a, mm. You had to wear suit and tie and all that. Wow. But I was in the business and I, and I was able to get cheap LPs from EMI. And, um, I, and, I, and that's where I met Nori Paramore, who was one of the most successful record producers of the day. Um, and uh, I got to understand how recording sessions work and all the time writing with Andrew. And then this music master friend of, of, of the Lloyd Webber family said he wanted something for his kids. And he'd heard our demo and he thought, well, this is quite good. But, you know, obviously, you know, he said, I understand you're going to have this on in the West End next year. But <laughs> while you're waiting for that, why don't you write something for my children? And so he did. And that was Joseph. Wow. And, and that was much better because it was original in its concept, it was funny, mm. it was, um, didn't have a book, which is, we were slightly lumbered with not really having a book um, with the likes of us. Um, that was the title of the Bernardo Show. Um, and we were also, we had, the, it was performed. It was done by schools, by, by a, one school, but it was actually being done. So for the first time ever, we heard our work being performed. Uh, on its feet, which, yeah. Which we'd only heard on demo before. And the reaction, from the kids who were singing it, and then from the parents who had to sit through the show. <laughs> the I parents, bet. We've never enjoyed a school show before. This is great. <laughs> and, and eventually, after a lot of hassle, we managed to get uh, one or two people of influence along. We, we, we did the show in, in, the, in the Westminster Central Hall with, with, with the whole school, and wow. all the parents came. And Norrie Paramore came because he was my boss, and he said, This is good. And we got a good review in the Sunday Times because by a fluke, the um, uh, father of one of the boys in the choir was Derek Jewell, who was a great uh, music critic of the day, very famous um, in, in journalist and music circles. And Derek, who we hadn't met, didn't know he was going to the show, wrote a long piece in the Sunday Times saying, look out for these two young men. This is a great, very funny, and I can't wait to see what they do next. And as a result of that, we were given a recording contract to make the album, or to make an album, and we and as a result of that, and another couple of performances, we got decent management, and then then it all got you know out of control. Then it was away, and it yeah, and and the likes of us never really happened. It, I mean, it wasn't good enough. Although we 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 did do a couple of performances um, with Stephen Fry narrating it, which was quite mm. funny. Um, at private performances, and it has been done a few times, and it's got some lovely songs, but it, it it was really a complete lift of, not deliberately, but it was so influenced by Lionel Bart, and it was an old fashioned. Mm, yeah. And um, 
some of the songs are really nice. The tunes were better than the words, but um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting. And yeah. in a hundred years time, people say, oh, this is their first work. You notice this and you know, <laughs> it, it, it studied by poor victims <laughs> way through the early demos. This episode of Keep Calm and Carry On is sponsored by ACT London. ACT is the natural deodorant that really does work with gorgeous fragrances, stunning plastic-free packaging and unrivaled performance at its core. Their slogan is Born to Perform, not only because it works, but because the brand was created by two West End performers, Ed Curry and Andy Coxon. The guys simply couldn't find a deodorant that worked for eight shows a week under those hot lights in those same costumes. Ah, oh, I certainly know what that feels like. Act is now the winner of Harper's Bazaar's Best Deodorant Beauty Award and has been named the number one deodorant by Vogue, Esquire and Pop Sugar. I've been using it myself and honestly, I love it. If you like the sound of ACT, the boys have given me an exclusive code to share with you. Keep Calm 20 for 20% off at actlondon.com. That's A-K-T London.com. Thanks, boys. I mean, moving forward to kind of something like um, Jesus Christ Superstar, it's interesting that you say about how you loved musical albums and you didn't. it kind yeah. of didn't inspire you to go and see the show as such. You just loved the albums. Jesus Christ Superstar was done as an album first, wasn't it? With, yeah. with and was that with an intention to then well, make the show, or was it to just to get a bit of life out there with with the music and the album? Well, I think it was a bit of both, really, because we we still very much wanted to write for the theatre. And after Joseph, we 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 had management who were who were supporting us. We got twenty five or thirty quid a week each just to write, and I was able to give up my job at EMI, which I was I was with Nori Paramore by then, and his sort of spin-off outfit from mm. from EMI and um I was a bit reluctant to do that because I thought well I'm not certain we haven't made any money out of Joseph even though it's gone down well in schools and we made the album but you know we got 100 quid each or something at that mm. point and um and also any money we made at that point had to go back to our management because that was an advance yeah <laughs> and um we thought well I thought and also I was three years older than Andrew and it was, it was, he was only 20 at that point, 21. And he, he was still a, a student really, mm. a music student. And he, and he was also convinced he was going to be a star. I was not, I'm, I was convinced he was going to be a star. I wasn't convinced I was going to be a star. Um, so, um, it, uh, but after, after a while we thought, well, we'll go for this. And then we tried to get, the first thing we came up with was, um, I always wanted to write something about Judas Iscariot and we came up with Superstar and our original thought was to do it on stage but nobody wanted to know we, we weren't famous um, we had no, no, no track record it seemed a weird idea um, which it was um, and you know people like Ernie Delfont and all these great camera Macintoshes of their day said, well, you know, religion is hopeless. You can't get kids going to religion these days. They were, how wrong can you be? Because it was it was things like My Sweet Lord and Bridge Over Troubled Water and all these other things just around the corner mm. and all these interests in, in hippie religions and everything. Um, anyway, we didn't know that was coming up either. But in the end, we were able to persuade MCA Records, you know, bless them, uh, in England, a small, a small offshoot of the big American company to make an album of it. That was all we could do. Mm. But that that transformed the piece. If we'd done it on stage, if someone had said, yeah, we'll stage this, give it a go, we would have put a book, put yeah. it on that, that would have killed it. You know, Judas yes. said, hey, Jesus, what's for supper? It just would have been terrible. <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> we, so we, we on an album, you cannot have chat. Mm. You can't have more than a few, you know, you have the odd line. Yeah, yeah. But, People won't listen to speech all the time. Um, and so we made it operatic, we cut out any book, which we hadn't even written, but we, we always thought we would need to have a book. Mm. Um, and it also meant that we didn't have to worry about, you know, the size of the cast. We could have 10,000 people in a crowd on a yeah. record. Yeah. And um, we didn't have to worry about costumes. All we could, all we could worry about was the music and we mm. could make it rock. We could, in, it was always meant to be rock, but it would never, in a, if we'd opened in a theatre and say a wonderful out-of-town theatre like Plymouth, you know, Theatre Royal or something like that, however good that theatre, in 1969-70, you could not get a rock band playing in, an, in a, in a theatre with an orchestra, even a small orchestra. A, the technology wasn't there. B, rock music was considered not really right for theatre. Yeah. The audiences weren't there for, in the theatre. 
So we made it, it was rock and it came out as an album, a rock album without any show. And it did okay here, nothing much, but it went to number one in America. Wow. And, and we were off and running. But it was entirely, it became what it was because we couldn't do it any other way. We were hailed, oh, brilliant marketing geniuses. But it was all sort of Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's still very difficult now. I mean, I know if ever you turn up and want to sing at a concert, a, a rock piece with an orchestra and a band, it's still really difficult to yeah, gel those two together. I don't think people realise. They just think, no, oh, we're well, going to sing bit of Jesus Christ Superstar we're going to sing a bit of We Will Rock You or something yeah. it's not an easy feat to put that no, on the stage I mean, you do it marvelously because you're singing great rock ballads a lot of the time with basically a theatrical approach mm. um, but it's it, you you manage to keep the theater and the rock which is difficult and that's what we could never do in 1970 um, we, we we opened on Broadway and it was a bold um, attempt, but it didn't really quite work. I mean, it had extraordinary sets and things. So when I look back on it, I think if we'd had the technology of now, it would have yes. probably been a genuine big hit. It just about got its money back, but mm. that was on the in, in, on Broadway. But that was on the back of the record having done so well. But in those days, the Broadway audiences didn't really um, think rock music should be in the theatre. The yeah. and, and 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 the kids. And indeed, you know, the people who bought the album, and actually mums and dads were buying the album as well by then, but the kids never went to Broadway. I mean, they, 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 were, they were two, this is the very end of two rather different audiences. Mm. And even two or three years later, when we did it in London, the technology was better. We understood what we were doing. We learned from some mistakes. And in London, it was a mega theatre hit. Mm. Where ironically, the record hadn't been. The record was a hit after the show. So in London, it was a more conventional progress. But and then and um, but it was genuine rock, and um, I always get a bit miffed when, you know, people say, "No, here's a list of the best 500 rock records, rock albums of the 70s," and we're never in it because people, people think, or all these rock critics, tend to think that it wasn't rock, but it was. If you listen to oh, Joe Cocker's Grease Band on it, it's got definite Ian rock. Ian Gillan of Deep Purple, it's it's rock. It's almost ahead of its time as well, wasn't it? Because now it goes out and it does so brilliantly and, and, it, yeah. and it works so well. And like you say, you can have all of those elements to it. You yeah. can have the orchestra and, and the yes. band. I mean, I mean, some of the productions, but it works best of all out, out in, 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 the, in, the, in the open air. Mm. I mean, the ones at Regent's Park um, recently were brilliant and I've seen it in, in big stadiums and it works, it somehow works better. It's a big rock. It, you know, it's like going to a Deep Purple concert, mm. um, you know, and, and, and that, that element of the Stones, it's, it's, it's got that feel. It can work small, it can work in, you know, an ordinary theatre very well, but I, I always enjoy it more when it's, you know, there's a guy who opens those guitar chords. Um, and, and, and it's, 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 also, it's a good story. Oh, um, it's a great story. And, and the songs are brilliant. The songs yeah. are amazing. And, you know, they, they did really change things for, for musical theatre. They, re, it really kind of had a, had a gear change, I think, because it did, it did open up well, it, this. It, yeah, it was. I mean, I sing differently. Like, yeah, but it was definitely a big influence. We, we were influenced by Hair. Hair was a great, great, mm. brilliant score. Um, but Hare never really used a big orchestra. It it took rock into the theatre, but it was the, the technology wasn't so vital for it, um, and it, it 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 was very it was a great show. It had such great songs. It didn't really have an incredibly dramatic storyline. Mm. Didn't really matter. No. <laughs> but, but I wonder why. I mean, I'm always slightly slightly baffled because Hare has never really. It doesn't often get revived. And if it does, it doesn't usually work mm. other than a curiosity, which is unfair because it is a great, great score. It's great, yeah. And um, I sometimes think, I wonder if, it, wonder if the score could be, you know, without changing it at all, be put into a sort of, you know, different scenario, you know, like set in, you know, 18th century Paris or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, give it a spot. Um, That's the beauty of musicals though, isn't it? How they are changed and they do develop and yeah. they do kind of evolve. And I mean, chess is another one. Chess has had so many different versions of it. Yeah, but... chess, I think, seems to, I mean, that 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 did okay over here. We had, we had, we had, we had a bit of luck, uh, bad luck with the production, but it, it was a hit here in London and it's done really well everywhere else except Broadway where it was a total disaster. Um, 
tragically, but it won't go away and it keeps being done. And it's now one of the most popular shows in terms of being performed all over the world. And we're, we're talking at the moment about um, doing a film, which I think would be, would be great. It's a, it's a great score and you've, you've taken part in it yourself. And, um, you know, it's been great to have really top quality theatrical performers and, and rock ones as well. Um, they all seem to like it, which is good. Well, it's another show that works very well in that kind of concert yeah. setting like we did at the Albert Hall. It works yes. so yeah. brilliantly and the songs are so, there's so much in it and there's so many different styles and like, we had some amazing, we had amazing cast and it works so brilliantly. Do you have a, do you have a preference of how it's, how it's done? Do you ever kind of well, step in and say, I want this in or do you, do you just let well, it happen? I, I mean, we've, we've kind of given up, you know, some, <laughs> I'd like to give heaven, heaven help my heart to the arbiter or something. And <laughs> well, if, 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 if it was, if it came back to Broadway and we had been in discussions for that, it was done in Washington not that long ago before the, the, the dreaded COVID. Um, mm. I think for the film, if, if, if we get it together, which and we are reasonably advanced in conversations about it. Um, I think I would really want, and with Bjorn and Benny, obviously to make sure that it's done the way it is. I mean, what I find annoying about, a lot of shows and, and is that chess in the Albert Hall, um, we, we, we had one or two sound problems. We had the best cast you could hope for. And I, I wanted subtitles the whole way through or surtitles because however brilliantly um, people sing, choirs in particular, you can never hear all the words. And chess mm. is a complex plot and people kept saying, well, we, I don't get the story. Well, you would get the story if you could, if you, if you could read it. And, and, and with the great chunks of the show, which are sung chorally, and it's like an opera and directors don't like subtitles or surtitles because they think it distracts from their brilliant work, mm. um, which it doesn't because you can, I mean, I've, I've, I've been to opera and followed it in English when it's been sung in Italian or whatever. Mm. And, you, you don't miss the visuals, you, you know, you, you, you can, I mean, most people can read, you know, I mean, people don't go, I know him so, <laughs> uh, by which time the song's over, that, that doesn't happen. <laughs> they go, oh, I know him so well, I mean, that one they know anyway, but, yeah. but Murano, I did get subtitles put up on, in the Albert Hall for Murano, and Murano got laughs and a huge round of applause, which it never gets normally, because... Yeah. It's it's funny and people can't hear the words. And I remember Cameron McIntosh saying to me, "Well, you've got to get rid of that. What's that bit at the Tyrol beginning? What's all that about?" Well, if you read the words, you, 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 get would, it. you, would, you would get it. But um, anyway, and it happens in quite a few shows. I think I wish wish they, you know, sometimes I wish for the choral stuff. Anyway, you 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 you, you could be given the given the lyrics. Mm. Lyrics are important. Well, I guess in. Uh, when those musicals then go to film, I mean, it's a lot clearer in the film, obviously, because the, yes. you know, the, it, it, the dialogue through the song is is a lot clearer yeah. up close. I mean, do you think, you know, t t transferring musicals to film and doing them in movies, because there's there's been a lot recently. I mean, there's always been them and everyone says, oh, it's a new thing. We're now doing musicals in film, but we've always been doing them. I mean, yeah. like lady, do you think it, it, when, when you're involved in something, do you have a, again, do you have a, a thought? Do you have a say? Or do you just, again, you just step back? Well, to a certain extent, you can have a say. I mean, um, with the Evita movie, um, I somehow didn't find myself being asked for my opinion very often. And I did make <laughs> one or two comments about one or two words being changed pointlessly. And it was really, well, thank, thanks, but no thanks. We don't really want your opinion. And I mean, it wasn't major changes. It wasn't like, don't cry for me, Venezuela. <laughs> but, 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 but there were, you know, one or two. I mean, there's one line I remember where Magaldi, not Magaldi, um, yes, it is Magaldi um, in that scene. And Che has the line and he, and he sings something about Eva Peron had every disadvantage you need if we're going to succeed. And um, I wrote, uh, I mean, what, it was um, no money, no class, and um, that was changed when Antonio Banderas, when I, when I heard the first playback to no money, no cash. And I thought, well, he's obviously, Antonio's got it wrong. He, you know, just misread the word or something. Mm. And I said, this is, you know, um, rang up Alan Parker, great, great guy, a sad loss recently. Um, mm. Dear Alan, he did, a, I, I thought the film was jolly good, but on this one, we had a bit of a Barney, because I said, um, no money, no cash, it's the same thing. 
Mm. It's no class. And he said, well, she did have class. And I said, well, yes, of course, she was a very classy lady. But the point Jay is making, that she was lower class, she was working class, she was, you know, came from the stick. She had mm. no class. Mm. Anybody, a snob would say she had no class. Mm. Although she proved in the end, like her or loather, that she was about as classy as you can get. Mm. And, oh, no, no. And I thought, oh, well, and, and, you know, that was just wrong. But, of course, nobody noticed. Yeah. Me. And I, I, I said that. I said, nobody will notice. And he said, well, 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 what's it matter then? I said, well, I notice. The only person who notices is me. And, and all you're doing is annoying me. Yeah. Um, anyway, it, I didn't get my way. But I did manage to make sure that because the lovely Madonna wanted, you know, had a few queries about the words of you must love me. And I did put my little foot down on that. I said, <laughs> they are. And she, she made up. But she's in love with Heron. I said, I'm not sure that's right, you mm -hmm. know. Um, but Madonna did a wonderful version of it, and it was a big hit single for her. Mm. And it won the Oscar. Yes, it, it did. And, and um, sometimes you have to get a little bit stroppy, but equally, sometimes you're fighting against armies of people who, you know, you think, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's choosing your battles, isn't it? I think. In yes, those, in those exactly. Things. Do you have um? Do you have a? Do you have a favourite? Is there a? Is there a show that that resonates more than than? I th yes, no. Some I think some of the best stuff I've done is in chess, but I think there are bits of most shows I quite like. Um, even one or two of the disasters, but um, uh, for a show, in a way, Evita, the show came at a time when everybody in it was at the top of their game and everybody, you know, everything went right. Mm. But the show of Evita was beyond any doubt the best opening night I've ever been to because it just worked. And mm. then there were changes from the album, one or two new songs, but that, that was in a spirit of great cooperation. And, um, the you know, the score was already proven, but it worked on stage. We didn't know whether that would happen. The cast was brilliant, mm. Hal Prince was brilliant, the set was so staggering, the choreographer Larry, Larry Fuller was on top form. Everybody got it right. Yeah. And that doesn't often happen. And you've only, sometimes you only have to have one element that's wrong and it can slightly clobber the show. Yes. And that element could even be where you do it. Or, mm. you know, but in that, in that particular case, everybody was working well. And um, it, it, it was, so I would say that was my favourite opening night of all time. Yeah. But um, whether Evita's my favourite work, I do like Evita because, um, well, partly it was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, a very good idea. Yeah. I mean, and, um, phenomenal show. Nobody really thought it would work um, because we'd, we'd, we'd had a big hit with Superstar and we'd had a hit with Joseph after Superstar, funnily enough. That was what Joseph only took off outside of schools after after Superstar. And, and I don't think anybody thought we could follow up Superstar. I didn't think we could follow up Superstar, but mm. the golden rule, or one of the golden rules is do what you want, do what you like, not yes. what you think other people will like. Absolutely. And everybody said, well, Evita, no, who's Ava Peron? No one knows her. People won't, you know. And with Superstar, they were saying, oh, well, everybody knows that story. It's, you know, they, they won't go because everybody knows the story. With Ava Perron, they said they won't go because nobody knows the story. Yeah, it's, well, it's hard, that. You have to do... I think you have to always yeah. go with your gut and what you think yeah. is right. Yeah. What do you think for new writers? Um, because it, it's a very difficult time for... I mean, in one aspect, there's a big platform, like you say, with social media, with with YouTube, those kind of things. People can put their work out there. Yeah, that's, but it, a, that, that's, that's part of the problem. It's but it's much. saturated, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's very little quality control. So somebody can stick a musical online. It might sound all right to them. And their mum and dad say, oh, this is great. You know, well done, Dorothy, or whatever. But it's not actually an accurate, doesn't help you. No. I, I mean, I and, and funnily enough, my last podcast was... Um, the 10 golden rules for writing a hit musical. <laughs> and I, I hasten to say the last rule was there are no rules. And the first rule was nobody knows everything. So I was, I was mm. but I was just saying, and one of the things I do believe strongly, which is what happened to us and Joseph, is do it live. Put your show on before an audience. No, you can make the best record in the world. It won't necessarily give you any ideas. Mm. Um, you can have a record that's got an orchestra on it, or it sounds like an orchestra. You can, you know, put it in a lovely package and send it out to producers, unless you get an audience reaction. And we got that with Joseph. 
um, even though it was only originally kids and parents. Yes. And we thought, hang on, this is working. And so, and also the other thing I would say for people starting out is don't, if you can, don't be angst ridden, don't be miserable and say, oh, the world is terrible. It may well be, but we don't need to know that. Yes. Do something that is fun. Mm. Well, you know, theatre is all about escapism, isn't it? It's yeah, all about and, people going. And to a great extent, that's that's true for rock. I mean, the great thing about Queen, which you are a great exponent of their material, was that they made a lot of serious points, but God, they were entertaining. They mm. were, and Freddie was funny. Yeah. And, you know, not cracking gags. Have you heard the one about the vicar? Or, but <laughs> as we all know, you know, he was he was able to not take himself too seriously. It was a great gift. Yeah. There were people who were going, oh my God, I've got to tell the world about this. We don't want to know. And also, if you have an opinion, even if it's something that, that, that a lot of people would agree with, equally, a lot of people will not agree with it. Absolutely. So, and, and you can get messages. I mean, I didn't write Superstar with an idea of converting people to anything or, or slagging Christianity off. That was just a story. Mm. People can draw different things from it. And with what? Evita, half the people thought, oh, you've made her too nice. The other half thought, you've made her too nasty. <laughs> but we weren't trying to do either. Well, I wasn't. I was trying to tell a story. Mm. And here's the story. This actually happened. You know, draw your own conclusions. If, if you have a message, even if it's about something that people would agree with, like fighting cancer or mental health, you've got to tell a story and mm. then bring that out. And and producers will, I always say to people doing auditions, especially if they're starting out, if you're doing audition, do a funny song. Yes. You know, then, you know, then people will say, great, can you do anything serious? But if you come on and straight away do, you know, my life is over or whatever. Yeah, your big ballad, yeah. Even a, even a great ballad um, is harder to take in, but if you come on and, you know, do a funny song, mm. People will say, oh, we like that, or we like you. Now let's hear you do a serious one. Absolutely. But the other way around won't happen a lot. It's harder. It is hard. Yeah. Uh, well, we could do a whole podcast on auditions, but that, that <laughs> I'd have to get you back for that. Um, I, I mean, I could talk to you all day, but a couple of things before I do let you go. Uh, have you had a moment that's... Very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> have you had a moment that's um, that's been really difficult or, you know, career-wise? Oh, yeah. Just on Broadway. Chess on Broadway was an absolute disaster for me. I thought it was ghastly. Um, it just went on too long. The cast were great, but it just went on too long and it got out of control. And I, I in the end, didn't, didn't turn up towards the end of the rehearsals. I said, I'm sorry. And, and it, it, it just didn't work. Mm. Um, despite that, actually, we still got crowds in because these are people who like the songs. And every time there was a song, but we had a long book, and I can't even tell you if the book was any good or not, but we didn't need it. It was, it's basically operatic. Yeah. Went on for about four hours, seemed oh like gosh. four days. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was just it's nobody's fault in particular, but I mean, it, it just, it, it was, oh, shouldn't have been done. But the, but the piece, in a way, it's a tribute to the piece that it survived that. Yeah. Normally, if a piece dies on Broadway, that's it. It's gone. But it's kept going. And it's running in Moscow right now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. How lovely. During, during, during this, um, you know, ghastly time. And um, uh, I haven't seen it, but I've seen clips of it. And it looks really good. You can get bits of it on YouTube and it looks looks good. Oh, well, and it's great it. that a story set in Russia at the height of the Cold War is playing in Russia. You wouldn't That wouldn't have happened in 1980 when we wrote it. Or 1988, rather. Wow. And I... I guess I, <laughs> I love that they all merge. So many, so many brilliant things. Um, and I guess the other end, is there a moment that's kind of stood out that's, uh, you know, that's better than the rest? A highlight? I mean, is it maybe an award? Well, I think or a show I'll or... about the opening night of Peter probably was probably the best. Um, I remember thinking, well, you won't get any better than this. And it didn't really. Um, but, but there are things that are very sad. I mean, also... I've never been one of people, you know, you, you win an award and say, this is the greatest night of my life. It, it, it isn't for me, it's not. There are other things in life which matter more. Mm. And, um, you know, obviously it's my career and I, I try to take each piece seriously, but sometimes you see people going so over the top at award ceremonies, you think, do you really think that? <laughs> are, these really, are, you, are you really working with the greatest team of all time? Uh, do do you know? And when you when they say this is for you, I think no, it's not. It's for you. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Take that award and run. And, and, and people thanking God. I think, why are you thanking God? Are, are you saying God prefers me to the other people who didn't win? That's ludicrous. <laughs> you know, I mean, God, God likes, well, Jesus liked people who weren't very successful. Oh, you know. Yeah. Well, we can't let Tim go without asking him my final question that I ask all my special guests. If you could look back on your 20-year-old self and give yourself a piece of advice that you've been given or you would give yourself, what would it be of how to keep calm and carry on? I think my advice would be nobody knows anything, um, including you. So, but if you know you don't know anything, you're one step ahead of most people. That's brilliant. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, Tim, it's been so nice to talk to you. What a joy. It's, it's good to know you're doing these shows. That's great. Yeah, it's keeping me, keeping me going. It's keeping me focused. But great. yeah, I... I, my, I uh... my, agent, my agent will be in touch about the fee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't hear you. Oh, you're breaking up. <laughs> Tim, it's been gorgeous. Thank you so okay. much. And, uh, and right. good luck with everything. We'll see you soon. Well, that is it for another week. Wow. I mean, I think we were in the presence of royalty there. What an absolute honour. Well, thank you, lovely Sir Tim Rice, for coming on the show. It was awesome to hear your stories and your chat. Oh, I'm really honoured and I hope uh, to see you very, very soon. All the best with everything that's coming up, especially with the movie. A big thank you to our sponsors, Act London. Thanks for teaming up with us this season. Also, my lovely producer, Martin, at peroxidemedia.com. And, of course, to you, the listeners. Thank you so, so much for being here with us. Hit subscribe. Listen to any previous episodes that you haven't. Also, season one and two. And also, tell your friends. It's great to get this podcast out there so we can continue doing it because I'm loving it. I don't want to have to stop now. Also, another little treat for you guys. If you haven't yet, check out my new Panic Attack 2021 song with the lovely Dr. Brian May. It's out on YouTube. It's free. We have a new video. So go and check it out. It's awesome. It might just brighten your spirits, make you smile and enjoy your day. Send in lots of love, you guys. And hopefully I will hear or you'll hear me next week. Take care. Bye bye. Once again, a huge thank you to my sponsors, Act London. Thanks for coming on board, guys. It's really great to have you with us. It really does work, I promise you. I get up in the morning, I put it on, it smells gorgeous. I'm loving the orange scent at the moment. And it really does work. I'm running around, I'm exercising. My kids, you know, they really do wear me out. And this stuff really does work, I promise you. And don't forget to use my exclusive discount code for 20% off at the checkout. Keep calm 20 at actlondon.com. That's A-K-T London.com. Oh,